Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Beth Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Cold Chart Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking the Surface. And just uh, to begin, we apologize for missing our episode last week. Life has happened and we've had some health issues um, taking place within our group. And that is also why, if you notice a change in the audio quality, because we're doing a Zoom conversation, just want to be safe. And um, this is just working out a lot better for for everybody. Um, Beth and Anthony, it is still so good to uh, see you, even if it is virtually. And the conversation that we want to have today is centered around Dave Chappelle's latest and possibly last special on Netflix that was titled The Closer. And he uh, certainly went in on the LGBTQ plus community and it caused quite the backlash. And um, so I, I just wanted to discuss, while I myself haven't seen the special in full, I also don't feel like it's totally necessary. It's not my cup of tea. And, um, I just think I want to have a conversation, um, just like a larger look at comedy and speech and, and how, what we say can, can, or cannot maybe impact, uh, behaviors of other people. And so let's just start with that. Does anybody have any thoughts right off the top from what you've heard and read? It might be helpful just to, without going too much into it, just to let folks know in case they're not familiar with the controversy, kind of what happened. So the special that's on Netflix is Dave Chappelle uh, special, The Closer. He has, and this is a recurring trend for Dave Chappelle. He has talked about um, LGBTQ issues and made jokes about that community in several past specials. So it's kind of opening, I guess, an old existing wound. But um, he made a couple comments in this uh, special where he talked specifically about the trans community. He, He talked about how gender is a fact um, he compared um, trans women's genitalia to plant-based meat substitutes. Um, he said he was team TERF and that TERF means uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists, basically feminists who don't believe that trans women should have equal rights or be part of that feminist conversation. Um, and he had defended homo. So that would be J.K. Rowling. Um, he mentions her in the special. He declares his support for J.K. Rowling. Um, and he also made homophobic or he he defended homophobic remarks that the rapper DaBaby had made. Um, so all of this, you know, came out in this special and then immediately caused a big backlash in the trans community. There was a walkout at Netflix of trans um, and LGBTQ plus employees. Um, Ted Sarandos, the CEO of Netflix, has gotten in quite a bit of trouble. He originally came out and defended the Chappelle special and said, uh, particularly, I think the notable thing he said was that uh, content doesn't cause real life harms. Um, and he defended freedom of speech. He has since walked that back. 
um, and said that, of course, content has real life impacts because that's what we do at Netflix. We tell stories that make a difference. And he tried to spin it as like we have diverse representation. That's important. That's content does have an impact. But I think it's an unsatisfactory resolution because what he's essentially saying is he's acknowledging it has a real world impact. But he started telling trans people, well, you just have to deal with that because we're not taking it down and, and we're going to have this content. So just to kind of give folks an overview of where that conversation is right now. Anthony, do you have any thoughts um, regarding like how Beth laid that out? I have some broader big picture questions just about comedy and uh, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, I, I guess what I've been thinking of the last couple of days, and this goes back a couple of years for me, there was a couple summers ago where I did a bunch of lawn care in the summer and I would listen to a lot of music and talk radio and podcasts and things like that. And I got bored. So I started listening to comedians and I discovered pretty quickly that uh, the world of stand-up comedy is pretty raw and there was a lot of things that were talked about um, that were really surprising to me. And there was a number of comedians I just stopped listening to because I'm, I'm not an easily offended guy. I just felt bad listening to it. Mm-hmm. So I started reading up just on shock comedy and, and what comedians in, are trying to accomplish when they know that they are saying inflammatory things that will get people's attention. And it turns out there's a pretty robust discussion about what role comedians are supposed to play in helping people kind of find their own boundaries um, and, and kind of take people to the end of their sensibilities. I, I tended to think they were putting more of a spin on it than I would have, like, like it was a noble thing to help people discover how dark they really are. Uh, and I found myself thinking, I'm not sure that's the best um, goal to have. But one, one thing that stands out to me, there's one comedian who often had rather shocking jokes. And he had done a joke. uh, He had done a rape joke. And he did a joke later that involved a young child being run over like a speed bump. And the crowd like groaned and booed in the second one. And he backtracked. He said, oh, it was okay when I made the joke about rape, but not this. And I thought, okay, that was a sort of gotcha moment. Like he was showing his audience wow, you really let something slide you shouldn't have let slide. And so I kind of get that, but I'm just wondering from the two of you, what do you think of, what is the role of comedy? Are they meant to to shock us out of our sensibilities and think differently? What are the subjects that you just can't make fun of if there are any? Um, I, I don't know. What do you two think about that? Yeah, the, this is something that I think I've struggled with for a while and have tried to figure out. I myself, I'm just not uh, hugely into like comedy sketches anyway. I think I just prefer like other forms of entertainment rather than just watching one individual on stage. That's not to say I haven't found certain things to be funny from those people. It's just not my preferred way of taking in stuff like that. Um, I think there is this tendency that one side can have that that comedians are kind of the these uh, protectors of free speech. And I don't know whether or not that is true, but I do think that there is value in some of the things that they can offer when when put in a specific context of this is comedy. So they they get a pass that regular speech doesn't always get. So they can say things because they're within the framework of being on a stage and making jokes about something that maybe wouldn't even be appropriate to joke around with, with your own family or your friends. Um, that's not to say it can't go too far. Like, I don't agree with the things that, 
that Dave Chappelle had said. Um, but I am curious, like, yeah, I guess what their role is. And am I to, am I to enjoy when people punch down? And maybe that's what I'm trying to say is that there are certain forms of comedy and ones that I think I maybe detest the most are ones where there is a punching down. And so if we do have these hierarchies, um, then I guess we would think that Dave Chappelle, a, a wealthy man, even though he is a man of color, um, is higher on that hierarchy than than members of the trans community. And is he punching down at members of the trans community? I think he was. Yeah, I I exactly had that. I would, that's what I was going to say. <clears throat> the two things I guess I look at when I'm deciding like whether comedy is like good or not. I actually I love comedy, and I love sketch comedy. I love stand up comedy. And I watched quite a few comedy specials. I've seen a lot of Dave Chappelle's work. And I think he has at times been very brilliant and very funny. I did not find this particular special, the clips of it I watched and the comments that he made about the trans community to be funny. I found it to be quite tired, to be honest. And I think the two things I look at is like, one, is it actually funny? Like, because now we're in this weird esoteric age of comedy where we're looking at them to be like some sort of cultural truth prophets. And it's like, is what you're saying even even funny, you know, have even mastered crafting a good joke. And then two, my other criteria is exactly what Taylor said, which is, are you punching up? Or are you punching down? And so I think of comedy being really effective when you think of like, I don't know, like comedians in Middle Eastern countries, you know, who are calling out their despotic governments or the media correspondent dinner and in, in Washington, D.C., where they speak directly to the president and, you know, make fun of the president. And that's a way of sort of punching up of holding people accountable in a way. Um, I think that is very valuable and funny and important. I did see on CNN that they had interviewed several trans comedians after the Chappelle special came out and asked them about this. And one of them had made a comment um, and I thought what she said was, was good. She said a joke should only be as offensive as necessary. And if it has to offend, it needs to be funnier than it is offensive. No one should come away from a joke more offended than they are entertained. That's what makes it a joke. Um, and I think there's something to that. And even in Ch Chappelle's special, he talks himself, he asked the audience to stop um, punching down on the black community and their jokes. But for him to do that in the same set in which he's making fun of trans people and basically saying he doesn't recognize their identity or think that their identities are, are valid. I mean, this is a community that is the subject of the most intense discrimination and violence in our country of almost any minority group, just super high suicide rates, rates of domestic abuse. And so that's why it's it's to me, it's like, could you pick any other group? It's like for some reason, for, for Dave Chappelle to be like, oh, trans people have had it too good for too long. This is a group that needs to be held accountable. It's like, no, this is a group that suffers every day and you're perpetuating stereotypes that make them suffer even more. Uh, so here's a question though. This is the one I struggle with the most. And this is where I think a lot of the debate has come down to because it kind of ties into cancel culture, which we've done an episode on before. We can, people can go back and listen to the episode and think about that maybe in the context of this. But, you know, the ultimate thing is like, free speech, right? Does Dave Chappelle have the right to make jokes about the trans community? And should everybody just sort of sit back and be like, that's great. Uh, you know, I don't, you don't want to take away Dave's right to say something because you wouldn't want someone with your view, viewpoint to have their voice denied. And I think I want to hear what you guys both think about that. I think we've had some conversations that have touched on that before, but I think where I come down is, okay, sure. Let Dave Chappelle have freedom of speech. One that does not make him immune from the consequences of that speech. Uh, including cultural, you know, pushback. 
And two, I think what I'm struggling with is like Dave Chappelle already has quite a bit of wealth and, and, and many platforms like you can allow free speech without elevating it by giving it an even bigger platform. And that's what I'm struggling with. Like Netflix giving him these ungodly deals to then produce these specials that are attacking the trans community. It's like, I do feel like Netflix has culpability in, in doing that. There's other platforms that he can go and put it. He could put his content on his own website and sell it like Louis C.K. has done before and make, you know, $100 million off it. And I think the thing is disingenuous is for Netflix and Dave Chappelle to say it's just a joke. You know, there's no real world consequence to this. Dave Chappelle walked away from a $50 million Comedy Central contract because he felt that white audiences were laughing at his racist sketches in a way that wasn't ironic, that they were laughing a little bit too hard and a little bit too long. Like they were sort of liking the racist aspects of what he was trying to make fun of. Um, and he felt that that had real world harm and he walked away from it and went to Africa on a sabbatical because he was so disturbed by what his content was doing. So for him to do that and then not recognize that content has real world impacts is a little disingenuous. Yeah, entertainers and producers and musicians have been saying for how long now we change the world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Well, if we talk about cancel culture, I tend to like allowing the market to kind of dictate what the next steps are, I guess. And um, so just seeing, you know, what is the backlash? How are individuals going to be reacting? Individuals that then make up larger groups. And I think that um, it's important to kind of pay attention to the voices on all sides of that. Um, But I think the harm that can inherently come from, say, just pulling everything that he's done down or even some of these most recent works is that it just makes the other team uh, wait in the wings for, for their opportunity to do the same thing or just reinforces these ideas of, okay, you canceled me. So now I'm going to cancel you the next chance that I get. And we just keep going around and around in these circles. So I, I like to rely on the market a little bit more, I guess. So I've got three thoughts about the free speech thing that you brought up, Beth, and I'll try to make them quick. The first is that, uh, I, it's frustrating to me that so many conversations about free speech in our culture suggest that when private entities or the market, um, quote, cancel speech, somehow this is a violation of our rights. And it's just not true. It's about the government squelching speech. And so, yes, when the government squelches speech is is a huge issue. The minute it moves out of that, and Netflix is not the government, Netflix can do it at once. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of telling Dave Chappelle what he can and can't say, but I'm a big fan of you don't have to like what Dave Chappelle says and you can respond accordingly. We all do that all the time. Right. The second thing I think of is that, and this is a broader issue about rights in general. We talk a lot about what we can do and I get that, but I don't think we talk enough about what we should do. And when we misuse our freedoms, there's always going to be concern that restrictions are going to tighten around those freedoms in ways we don't like but it'll often be because we have not used them responsibly. And so I, I'd like to see our culture having a broader conversation about how do we use the freedoms we have wisely, and that includes the freedom of speech. I like your analogy of punching down. Like, I have the freedom to use my words to punch down on people. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't think I should, mm-hmm. right? If, if I disagree with someone, I can surely find a way to do it in a way that's respectful, um, that makes my point without like coming to verbal blows, so to speak. 
Um, and, and that's something that I think in a whole lot of areas culturally, we need to have more conversation about. And then my last point, this is kind of a uh, come on full circle, but I agree with you, Taylor. Um, look, the market's going to decide this in some fashion. And I'm not actually that concerned about cancel culture because it's not the government canceling people. If the private sector has an ebb and flow to uh, how they respond to what people want to say, I think that's the way it was designed to work. I think there is, um, if people like, maybe there's a, you know, a broader question here about like, I think you asked earlier, Anthony, is there anything like we can't joke about or is there anything that's like off limits um, in comedy? There's a documentary and we might've talked about it before you and I, Anthony, but it's called The Last Laugh. And it's all about um, Holocaust humor. It's like it interviews different, oh. um, everyone from like Mel Brooks to Sarah Silverman about like, can you joke about the Holocaust? And it mostly interviews Jewish comedians about mm. this specifically. Um, and I, I thought it was incredibly interesting. It was very thought provoking. There were people who were actually survivors of the camps who talked about humor and how sort of gallows humor in the camps helped keep them alive um, and help process the trauma of their experience after they got out of the camps. Um, and I and then there's, of course, other people who, you know, for whom it's an incredibly sensitive and traumatic experience that should never be trivialized or joked about in any way. And so it's kind of the whole spectrum. And I think really thoughtful in that way. But I do think there's something to like, for example, in Traverse City, we just had Pride Week. There was a Pride comedy night um, at a local brewery here, and there were queer comedians who came. And, you know, I think if a queer comedian is joking about being trans or queer, and it's sort of like this solidarity of, you know, straight people don't get us, and here's what our experience is like being trans or whatever, that can be like unifying, or, you know, there's a, cons there's a uh, consolidarity about that, a unity about that, because again, maybe of the punching up versus punching down thing. I've seen rape survivors do really powerful material about their experiences because they're owning it. Like they're using humor to process their own experience and share what they went through. And they have an understanding and sensitivity to that situation because of having been a survivor that maybe allows them access into making jokes about it because it's their way of processing it. And they have that sensitivity of like, I've actually gone through this and known this. So there is something too about being an outsider to a culture and making jokes about it in a way that usually doesn't sit the same way as someone within that community making jokes about mm. it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but it's almost like claiming power in certain areas or I don't, I don't know if that fits or not. Um, the, the other thing that I'd seen you know, getting tossed around after the special is that this conversation of will his words um, have incited additional violence against members of the trans community. We we do know that they're um, much more likely to be physically harmed and assaulted than um, someone like me. And I think there are questions that can be asked around that, but it's also this conversation, these questions are being asked in the same country where we have a lot of uh, gun violence issues. And I don't find it enough to just blame video games or things like that. And so I am seeing those parallels. Um, I, I don't know that it will incite this higher level of violence. If it does, I, I certainly would own that. But what it will do is allow people, I think, to just exist within treating people based on stereotypes and just being even more comfortable with that. And so that's like some of my fear when we have sketches like this that come out is that a lot of these stories, um, 
and, and their routines are based off these stereotypes or these individual incidences that they've had with individual people, individual people we come across all the time in our daily lives. And it's, it can be dangerous, I think, to have individual experiences with someone out in the world and to then tell your story when it's reinforcing a stereotype to the listening audience and they may go do that same thing. And I think it's challenging because I think it's a spectrum. So like, do I think necessarily that you're going to find like documented cases where someone's like, I went out and attacked a trans individual directly after I watched Dave Chappelle's new comedy special, (laughs) you know, like you're right. I don't know that I think that could happen, but I don't know that it's ever that explicit, but it does feed into a culture that can eventually lead to violence because of this sort of dehumanization, perpetuation of stereotypes, Um, you know, especially for young kids who might think like someone like Chappelle is cool and they don't really have a lot of language around identity yet, like people in high school or something watching that and learning terms like turf and that it's funny to make fun of trans people's genitals or whatever. And then thinking that and then regurgitating that behavior, I think is much more likely and common. And I do think that once that kind of attitude calcifies or hardens over time, it can lead to violence. And so I think it's, I I do think it's a disingenuous to say, well, like it's just a joke to, you know, take it easy. And it's like, well, for a lot of people in that community, daily life is pretty terrifying. And I don't think it's like that funny. Yeah. Well put. I I'm in agreement with you and what you said, you took it further than what I said and talked about the calcification and what living within these stereotypes can mean and treating groups according to stereotypes that you have come across or that you, um, that you claim. And yeah, I think it, I think it can get worse than that. I've been, as you guys have been talking, I've been tossing around in my head, just that idea again of punching down versus punching up. And I'm, I'm thinking of classic kind of satires and the way humor has been used throughout history to really bitingly make a point about something. So um, Jonathan Swift is the one that comes to my mind. Gulliver's Travels, and um, the essay that he wrote about the English eating the Irish, why can't I think of the name of this? A Modest Proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those, man, just uh, brilliant and vicious, but very much punching up. Um, the Irish in the one case were the group that was being, his argument was um, kind of metaphysically eaten by the English. Why not just go ahead and do it? And then Gulliver's Travel is just chock full of these really, um, really sharp takes on uh, politics, religion, all kinds of different things in there. But all of it was punching up. And I, the more I'm thinking about that, I like that distinction. And I've been adding that to thinking, okay, as a Christian, I've seen plenty of comedy festivals or comedy festivals or specials where I, I just cringe like, oh man, you guys just gave religion or Christianity a huge blow. I think the argument that would be made is that in the United States, at least, uh, faith and the Christian faith in particular has always been in a position of power. And so attacking it punches up, so to speak, rather than punches down. So if I'm going to be consistent, I I have to acknowledge that would that would make the dominant uh, paradigm fair game, so to speak. And so then I balance it with but I don't like it. It doesn't feel fair. even times I laughed, I would think, oh, ouch, I don't know if I should be laughing about this because this wasn't very nice. Um, so I'm, I'm actually balancing a number of competing things in my head about um, the mixed emotions I have about 
the way I do think there's a proper place for sharp comedy. And then also times where I feel like, ouch, why does it have to be like that? I feel like I might have talked myself here in a circle. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you both can help me wrap up some loose ends well, there. I- I feel like, so, I mean, there's like, so, you know, relevant magazine, which is like a Christian cultural magazine will do sometimes funny articles, like making fun of things in Christian culture or Babylon B or whatever. And I do feel like even within the Christian community, it's not to say like Christianity should be off limits for secular comedians, because I do think of the punching up thing. And I think evangelicalism, especially with the political climate now is pretty powerful, Um, but I do think it would have more resonance maybe, and it would be funnier to a Christian audience if it was a fellow Christian saying like, can we just talk about this hypocrisy in our culture? Can we make fun of ourselves for this thing with you or whatever? Like insider punch, because I grew up in that. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I grew up in that culture and I think there are parts of that culture that are beautiful. There are parts I, I think are hilarious to make fun of just like a lot of cultures that I belong to or used to belong to, but it goes to that like resonance. It doesn't mean that other comedians can, but I do think there's something especially powerful when you're making comedy from a place of firsthand or personal knowledge where there's some maybe affection mixed in with the blows that you're dealing out to other people. I remember years ago, there was a website, I think it was called Stuff Christian Culture Likes. It was <laughs> hilarious. It was embarrassing. It was, but you're right. There was something about that kind of insider um, activity that made it different. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's existing entities like that now with the Babylon Bee, and I think the Onion does satire pretty well. I'm not a fan of the Babylon Bee, but um, I, I I do see the value in in that satirical aspect of thing. It's it's almost like a way to check your yourself and your own group a lot of times. I think maybe it's just an authenticity thing. It's the same thing about writing or any other kind of art. When you're making art from like you know, there's the really old expression of like write what you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to making art from your personal experience. It's not to say you can't tackle art that's about other lived experiences or try to explore that creatively. But I think for a lot of people, the most resonant art comes from when you're writing about things that you personally experience and know firsthand that it just makes it more authentic. And I think what I struggle with Dave Chappelle's comedy is like when he's talking about issues of race, it's very powerful. He's often very brilliant and very funny. That's his firsthand lived experience. When he starts talking about the trans community, he doesn't, that's not his lived experience. He doesn't know what it's like to be trans. And so it feels like he's just hitching his comedic wagon to a star that he has like no idea of. Like he's just kind of cashing in on some trendy words to like add to his comedy set while he's punching down. And so I, I just, for me, it's like, why are you even making comedy about this? You don't understand this world you're probably not going to handle it with delicacy or sensitivity and go to the free speech thing. Like, can you? Sure. Am I going to give pushback about it? Yes. Um, I just think, especially when it comes to identity issues, I don't know, like, I don't think Dave Chappelle would like it if I as a 37 year old white woman started making a lot of jokes about like the black community and was like, here's my observations about the black community. It's like, I don't know that world. And I really should be careful about making jokes about it. I think think it's possible. He's laughing the whole way to the bank on this one. I mean, sure. <laughs> it's very yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah, which you brought up some of the irony behind that of he seemed to have his convictions, you know, a few years ago with Comedy Central and then came back to Netflix. The The figure was 50 million for Comedy Central that he turned down. And then this deal, I believe, with Netflix was for 60 million. So 
Um, maybe things start to to sound better the more zeros you add to it. Um, but that is really interesting, particularly if he's someone that has leaned on that example of, hey, I left all this money on the table. So look at me. I should maybe be able to get away with a little more than what I what I could have. OK, so how much of when you have big name comedians like this? And this could also be um, musicians who speak out or actors and actresses who speak out. How much of it is them knowing there is an audience? Like if we're going to follow the money and I'm cynical enough to follow the money, how much of this is them knowing that in spite of the pushback they get, there is um, a large enough group of people that with whom this will resonate, that it doesn't matter because their career will go on and the next show will go on. And I, I don't mean to single out Dave Chappelle on this, but I mean a lot of different things we th- see culturally. I don't think people would, I shouldn't say everybody. I think many of them would not do what they are doing if they did not genuinely believe they're appealing to a large enough group of people in our culture to make this worth their time. And I think that raises lots of other questions about what kind of culture are, are we a culture that loves to punch down rather than punch up would be one way of thinking about it. But now I wouldn't be. Yeah, go ahead, Beth. No, all I was going to say is I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's already kind of happened, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more and more comedians jump on the bandwagon of um, especially if they're doing lazy subject material that's punching down um, to sort of jump on this anti cancel culture bandwagon where we've already seen Louis C.K. do this a little bit like he was doing like a ironic like apology tour, but it was definitely not an apology tour. It was like the opposite of it. And I could see like at some point, like you got a Louis C.K., a Dave Chappelle all going on tour together, being like, we're the vanguards of free speech in America, like come to the no holds bar comedy show where, you know, we're fighting back against cancel culture. Like I can completely see. And there will definitely be an audience for that because there's definitely an audience in this country who feels like we sh- we're past the good old golden days of being able to make jokes about whoever we wanted, regardless of whether it was punching down or not and miss that. But I don't miss it. <laughs> Doesn't this bring us back to the whole thing of like, do to others what you'd want them to do to you. I wouldn't mm-hmm. like it if there was a, to go with your idea here, if there was a comedy tour of people who were just punching down on my tribe, whether it be religious or ethnic or you name it. If it was just a no holds barred, we're just going to, I would be like, come on, why are we doing this? So I feel like to be consistent, I have to go, you know, this brings us back to things we can do versus things we should do. What kind of, cultural vibes are we wanting to build? You know, what kind of community do you want to be in? What, what do we want people to be comfortable with? Um, not just saying, but hearing. Yeah. And I think there's a kind of a lazy aspect to that punching down and that com- that type of comedy. Um, I think you have to be a little bit more witty and a little bit more clever to try to punch up and pull one over on these people that are, again, above you on whatever these hierarchies are. And that's just what I've always found to be, I think, more entertaining. Uh, like any other Roger Goodell jokes, you know, the NFL commissioner, like I'm here for those that guys, uh, you know, I, and because he, he is so powerful in his position and, and I'm here for that type of stuff. And so I'm just more interested in, I think like smart comedy. And I, I haven't been able to find much smart comedy when it involves punching down personally. What yeah. um, would I lie to you on YouTube? It's a comedy show out of the UK. It is brilliant. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. What I like. <laughs> well, I know I know we're probably wrapping up here. Um, I just I think I guess I would I would just for me personally I would say in conclusion that I do support free speech, 
but I don't think that obligates private companies to give extremely wealthy, powerful platforms to every form of speech that's out there. And I think it's okay to vote with your dollars and, or your social media influence or your voice or whatever, um, about comedy that you think is, is punching down. And I agree with Taylor. I think it's often lazy and I'm much more interested in seeing comedians tackle something that punches up or exposes hypocrisy in our country or speaks truth to power then makes marginalized people feel even more vulnerable and, and targeted. Anthony, you got anything else before we go? I feel like I'm giving Beth the last word today. All right. Well, um, thank you guys so much for listening. This was just a quick episode on Dave Chappelle's latest comedy special, The Closer. Uh, our plan is also going to be in order to catch back up on our schedule is to have an episode out for you guys next Tuesday as well, as long as we can get all the team members uh, healthy and on board for that. So thank you for listening. 